pray with me. Father, we're thankful for your word that reminds us over and over and over again of your sovereignty, your sufficiency to keep us and hold us, to maintain us, to give us rest, to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us hope. We're thankful that you are a God who fulfills all of your promises because you cannot lie. We're thankful that you promised to send your son to die for sinners, to redeem your people, and that he's done that. And we're thankful that you have promised to send him again to remove us from the toil of this world, to leave this behind and to recreate, to make new, a new heaven and a new earth that we can dwell in together with one another and with our Savior face to face. So I pray that this Advent season is, is a reminder of us, uh, to us of the hope that we have, the confident expectation of knowing that you've promised that you'll come and so you will. And so as we wait, God, would you help us to rest, not just physically, but spiritually in Christ, so that our souls rest alone in him. And that you would give us peace through this season as we fix our eyes on you, that we would enjoy the family time, that we would enjoy the, the, the gift giving and all of those things, but only as a reflection of you as the giver of all good things. You as the one who has given us the very best thing, your son. So this morning as we open your word together, as we talk about the Sabbath rest, even as we hear the words of God this morning, would you help us to rest in those words and let our souls find rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well if you have a Bible, you can open it up to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the back, at the welcome table here, and um, we'd love to just give you one if you don't have one of your own. Um, we use the, what's, what's called the CSB, the, the uh, Christian Standard Bible. I had to think about it for a second. Um, there's several different Bible translations. We don't need to get into all the different types and styles and, and the what and the why, but we use this one because it's very... Um, true to the original languages, and yet it's also very readable. I find it refreshing to, to read through a translation that um, maybe isn't my, my go-to translation all the time, just for a, a good perspective. We, we have such a gift as uh, um, uh, English speakers and readers of all the different translations that the Lord has provided for us in our own uh, native tongue. And so, um, so even if you have your own Bible... If you want to get a CSB Bible in the back and follow along that way, or you can follow along up here, um, encourage you to just kind of read through both and, and see, uh, be enriched by, by the, the languages that are used here. So, um, if you do have one of those Bibles, it's on page 889. Excuse me. We're going to be at, uh, at the end of chapter 2 today and the beginning of, of chapter 3 of, of Mark. We're going to be in, um, start in verse 23 of chapter 2 and go through verse 6 uh, of chapter 3. Chapter 2 introduces the growing opposition 
uh, of, of the, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, against Jesus from the scribes and the Pharisees. And Mark lays that out over a series of, of five interactions that Jesus has with these guys, okay? And so the first one is when Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic, the paralytic man. And then, and then the next one is when he goes and he eats with the tax collectors and the sinners, and then he makes this distinction between himself and the Pharisees around the topic of fasting. We talked about that last week. And then today we're going to look at these last two interactions that he has. And they're going to, talk, uh, they're going to go a couple rounds here together uh, over the, this topic of the Sabbath rest. And so um, at the end of this interaction, we're going to see the strongest response of the Pharisees yet to Jesus. They're, they're actively looking for a way to accuse him, to bring a formal accusation against him for breaking the law, doing whatever. Um, but then when that doesn't work, then they're going to go out and they are going to plot and scheme on how they can kill Jesus. Last week we saw that Jesus' life and mission uh, doesn't fit into the old traditions of Judaism and that if we're going to follow Christ, it requires a, a new way of living altogether. And so this week we're going to see that Jesus restores the true meaning of the Sabbath and, and the rest that comes with that. And he's going to expose the Pharisees' distortion of it through their extra rules and regulations. And, and we're going to see that uh, why the Sabbath is, not, uh, is, is actually not only still relevant for us, but it's, it's actually necessary for us as believers uh, to keep today. And so, so what does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Okay, that's the question we want to we want to answer today. So I want to read our passage and then pray again and then we will get into the message. So chapter 2, verse 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to his companions. And then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand in order to accuse, to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Lord, we're grateful for your word, and we're thankful that we can come each week and open it up and hear from you. We pray that your spirit would um, enliven our hearts to receive your word with thanksgiving so that we might be conformed more and more into Christ's image through it today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Quick poll, all right? Show of hands. How many of you have most of your Christmas shopping done already? Okay, I need to get you my list. Um, how many of you are last-minute shoppers? 
okay? Several more in that category. Um, anyone go out and brave the, the craziness of Black Friday? We will just, one, we'll pray for you. Um, do anybody do online stuff? Yeah, 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 that's safer for the most part. Okay, now here's the real one, okay? Real honest hands here. How many of you can relate to the stress that comes with the holidays? There's like some half hands. Okay. The, the, the pressure, I, like, we, I, I tell you, I, sh- I almost, I forgot to bring them, but we got like a stack full of ads this past week of Black Friday deals and things like that in the, in the mail. And it's like, you just feel like this pressure, like, oh man, I got to find the deals here. I got to get on the stuff and do all this. I got to, I got to find the best deal or, or the, 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 the tension that you feel of, of like the family coming over for Thanksgiving and the cousin or the uncle that like you don't really want to see, but they, they have to come anyway, right? The tension of that, of that. or how about um, the, the pain of missing those that, that you've lost over the past year or several years, right? And, and at the same time, like trying not to be a downer for everyone else, but, but trying to do something with that hurt that you feel, Right? There's pressure all over the place. There's stress that, that creeps into our lives. You see, we're, we're busy and anxious people who don't know how to rest. That's the argument I'm going to make this morning. And we're always, we're always connected, right? We're always fi- uh, uh, filling our schedules and our, and with activities and obligations. We work like 70, 80 hours a week, and we don't leave it there. We bring it home with us. Right? We struggle to, with our um, past. We, we, we worry about our present. We fear for our future. All these things. We, can't, we, we constantly try to multitask. I don't think that's actually a thing. I, I don't think it's really possible. So anyone that if you can actually do that, I would love to watch you and maybe add another task while you're trying to do it and see what your capacity really is. Okay? Um, we can't even sit still, I will argue, for three minutes in silence without our minds racing or our hands fidgeting. You ready to try it? Here's the timer. Ready? Go.
I was going to do like a really loud and obnoxious alarm, but I figured that'd be more soothing. That was two minutes. That wasn't three. That was two. I hated that. I was fidgeting. I fidget now. I ha- we have this table here because I, I've, I've set a rule for myself that I can only go arm's length one way or the other. Otherwise, I might be sitting down there with you while I'm talking. I have to be doing stuff. I, my, I'm constantly fidgeting with things, right? Even in the silence, it's not really silence, is it? We're hearing stuff that's going on in the gym and things like that. And, and then you just kind of like, several of you were staring at me, and so I didn't want to look at you, right? And that's not fair, because you should look at each other. Here's the, here's the thing, okay? Here's what we're going to take away for today. Because God created the Sabbath rest. And he created it for our rest. We should work to keep the Sabbath holy and rest in him. Okay? Because God created the Sabbath for our rest, we should work to keep the Sabbath holy by resting in him. We rest in him physically as our creator and spiritually as our redeemer. We, we rest in him physically as our creator because he provides for us and he sustains us physically. And we rest in him spiritually as our redeemer because he renews us and restores us spiritually. We rest in him because he is the creator and the redeemer of the Sabbath itself. Okay? Let's pick back up here. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Whoops. That was another two minutes, by the way, apparently. I hit repeat instead of stop. My bad. Verse 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, Mark is very deliberate in his word choice here. Uh, in verse 23, he's setting up the scene for us as the readers by mentioning that it's the Sabbath and that Jesus' disciples were picking some heads of, of grain. Now, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means to cease or desist, to stop, okay? And so for the Jews, the, the Sabbath was this day of rest where all regular work would, would cease. And it began on, on a Friday at sundown and it ended on Saturday at sundown. Um, keeping the Sabbath was of the utmost importance to the Jews because it was the, of the utmost importance to God. And so for us to understand the significance of that, we need to look at just a couple of Old Testament passages. So Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. These will be up on the screen so you don't have to turn. You can stay there and mark. But Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3 wraps up the, the account of creation and it says this. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed... On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. And then we go a little bit further into uh, Exodus and, and in, into um, Deuteronomy, and we get the, um, the account of the Ten Commandments in, in two places there. And um, commandment number four actually deals with the Sabbath and keeping it holy. 
And in both places, the passages are almost identical in their wording for that fourth commandment. They say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or your resident or the resident alien who lives within your city gates. And then at the end of this, both of those passages, each one gives a reason why. And this is where they differ. Exodus chapter 20 verse 11 appeals to God as the creator and says, For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. And then in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, it appeals to God as Redeemer of Israel. And it says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, these aren't contradictory statements. They're, they're actually pointing to the same God who is, uh, has established the, the Sabbath and is um, both rooted in creation and in his redemption of man. And so here's what we need to keep in mind as we work our way through the rest of, of this passage today. The Sabbath was created by God for us to observe regularly as a reminder of his creative and his redemptive work in our lives. Uh, we are to observe it as a blessed gift, a, a blessed gift from our creator that allows us to, to rest from our work physically and to trust in his generous provision and care. And we observe it as a holy day set apart, especially to him because he set us apart. He redeemed us uh, as his own possession. And so the Sabbath serves to remind us of God's goodness toward us as our creator and his mercy toward us as our redeemer and his holiness that sets him apart as owner of all things including us in the time that he's given to us. So when we observe the Sabbath, we are displaying our reliance upon God and not ourselves and not anything else. And so the Israelites, they were notorious for, for turning away from God and, and relying and putting their trust in other things. And so keeping the Sabbath holy was such an important, such a vital, such a necessary part of their relationship with God that it was written into the law that if someone did any work on the Sabbath day, that person was to be cut off from his people and killed. Now think about that for a second. How many of you are going to do some work later on today? God took the Sabbath seriously. But he meant it to be a blessing to his people, not a burden. The Pharisees took the Sabbath seriously, but they turned it into a burden for the people by adding these, uh, a whole bunch of extra rules to it that defined what constituted as work and what didn't. And so that brings us then back to Jesus' disciples picking some heads of grain in verse 23. Now the Jewish law allowed for this, for someone to pluck heads of grain from a neighbor's field, but they couldn't take a sickle to it. They couldn't harvest the grain. Uh, and, and so the Pharisees then, they took this law and they distorted it and they said that plucking heads of grain was the same thing as harvesting, and harvesting was work that wasn't allowed on, on the Sabbath. And so that's the basis for their question then to Jesus in verse 24. Why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They're not saying what's not lawful according to Scripture. They're saying what's not lawful according to our tradition. 
They believe Jesus' disciples are, are, are guilty of, of breaking God's law because they've distorted God's law with their own man-made regulations. And so the only thing that the disciples are guilty of breaking is those man-made regulations. So they appeal to their, their traditions for the accusation, but Jesus then, in his answer, appeals to Scripture itself. Look at verse 25. 25 and 26. He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. So Jesus begins his reply by asking the Pharisees, Have you never read? Now, if you're a Pharisee, this is a highly insulting uh, statement because the Pharisees, being this uber uh, uh, conservative sect of the scribes, the teachers of the law, they're some of the most read Jews in the Jewish nation. They're, they're some of the, the, the most high up scholars. Of course, they've read this, right? But knowing something or, or knowing what something says and understanding what it means are two different things. Knowing what something says and understanding what it, what, what it means, th- these are two different things. And so the emphasis that Jesus is, is making in telling this story is that David and his men were in need because they were hungry. So when they came to the tabernacle and they asked the priest for food, and the only food that was available was the, was the bread of the presence that was consecrated bread. It was meant only for the priests to eat. Uh, uh, it was unlawful for anyone else to eat, according to, according to the law. But the priest gave them the bread because he had compassion on them and saw their need. These people are hungry. I have bread. They need to eat. And so Jesus isn't using the story, though, of David and the bread to, to, um, to make an excuse for his disciples to break the Sabbath. They're, they're not actually breaking it to, to begin with, remember. They're within the bounds of what the law allowed. Instead, Jesus is using the story of David and the bread to establish a a precedence that human need supersedes religious law. Human need supersedes religious law. And the the law was given to provide for God's people and, and, and to care for them, not the other way around. And so Jesus summarizes it this way in verse 27. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is meant to be a blessing to people and to promote their their well-being. That's the purpose of it. It's meant to to serve them, not to enslave them. So the Pharisees are the ones that are actually being unlawful here, right? They're adding the rules that God doesn't add when it comes to the observance of the Sabbath and and they're enslaving people then to those rules. They're going above and beyond the law and holding people to the standard that they've set. And they've turned the Sabbath then into a burden instead of a blessing, completely opposite of what it was designed to be. So the Pharisees ask Jesus the question from the assumption that, that they're the ones that are, are the authority of the law, right? Remember, they're the most read Jews. They know, they know, they know. They think they know. And so they're asking him, that, with the assumption that they're the ones that are, are the authority. But then Jesus ends the discussion by setting them straight, right? He lets them know that he's the real authority on the, cha- on the, on the matter. He's already established earlier in chapter 2 
that he is the son of man who has the authority to forgive sins. That's something only God can do. And so he's equated himself already as God. And now here he says that the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so he is the one that has the final authority to determine then if he's Lord of it, guess what? He gets to say what it's for, right? Because he's the one that established it. And so then Mark just kind of closes it, that, that, that interaction with that statement, and then he takes us back into the synagogue. We've been in the synagogue with Jesus before. He's, he's um, cast out a demon there and um, maybe done something else. I can't remember right now. Um, but but he's, he's in the synagogue often, okay? And so Mark takes us back there um, in, in this next uh, scene. And, and now only this time we have Jesus is the one that's asking the question. So let's, let's just kind of look on here. Um, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him. That's the Pharisees. They were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He, hold that thought. So, so Jesus regularly observed the Sabbath. It was something that he participated in. He didn't break it. He kept it holy. And he did that by going to the local synagogue and worshiping with the people there. And then oftentimes he'd go in and he'd teach uh, what the true meaning of God's commands were. He would, he would interpret these, these commands. Remember, the, the people were saying, what is this new teaching? Uh, he, he teaches with authority, right? He's, he's giving them, he's kind of scraping off the, the traditions that the Pharisees have heaped on top of this law. And he's exposing it for what it really is, and the people are amazed at that. And so in this particular instance, then, a man with a shriveled hand also happened to be in the synagogue while Jesus was there. And Mark doesn't give a whole lot of detail about this man. He doesn't say it's leprosy. He doesn't say all these other things. He just says that it's a shriveled hand. And that's not the point. The point isn't the, the, what the man's ailment is. The point is, is this. It's, the emphasis is, is whether or not Jesus is going to heal him because it is the Sabbath. Is he going to do work on a day that you're not supposed to do work? That's what the Pharisees are waiting and watching closely to find out. And so according to their traditions, healing was only allowed on the Sabbath if it was a life or death situation. Now, a shriveled hand didn't fall into that category, so in their minds, this guy, get, he doesn't get healed, right? It would be considered work, and that would, wouldn't be permissible on the Sabbath. And so if Jesus performed that miracle then, then they could, they could aha, they, they got him, right? They, they have a reason then to bring formal charges against him. And, and so once again, knowing their motives, because he's God, Jesus calls him out. Look at verses 3 and 4. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now, Jesus isn't going to let the Pharisees just kind of him and holler in the background, just kind of waiting for their opportunity, right? He, he, he brings everything front and center by telling the man, come out here and stand before us. Like, let's just all be clear. This guy's a shriveled hand, and guess what? I'm going to do something about it, okay? And so the Pharisees, like, now they, they got to watch. They got to do this. And so he confronts them in front of everyone. He doesn't talk to the man first after that. He turns to the Pharisees, and he asks them this question. 
And, and this question, the way he poses it, is going to reveal who is the one that actually has the authority in the room. And it's, guess what? It's not the Pharisees, right? We, we know this already. Uh, he says, he uses their own language that they used in the last um, scene. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, Jesus is echoing Moses' description of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Moses says this, to the Israelites. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, blessings and curses. If you follow the law, blessings. If you disobey, curses. If you follow the law, life and good. If you disobey, evil and death, right? And so this is, this is I love this. Um, Jesus is linking good with life and he's linking uh, evil with, with killing, with death. And by doing this and asking the Pharisees this question, is it lawful to do good, to, to give life, to, or to do evil, or to kill? He's forcing them to link the same things together. And if they don't link those together, then they're contradicting Moses. And if they do link those things together, then he has to, they have to allow him to heal this man because it equals a life-giving, merciful act, right? So they're kind of caught in this catch-22. It's, it's no wonder, then, that they're quiet. They don't, they don't have an answer for this because they're wrong either way, right? And so then look at Jesus' response in verse 5. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts, and he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now the Pharisees are silent because their hearts are hardened, and, and Jesus is, is both angry and he's grieved at this. Now, the, the, the Greek word for anger here means, means fury. It's, it's alluding to God's wrathful vengeance against unrepentant sin and, and, and unrepentant sinners. And then the Greek word for grieved here, this is the only place it's used in this way, and it means at the same time to also be sorry for. And so here in this one little scene, Mark's giving us a glimpse of both God's justice and his mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. Now this is a good reminder for us just in this moment because it can be easy for us to, to have only anger at these Pharisees, right? As we keep reading, as this opposition grows and, and they're plotting to kill him and they're, they're wanting to do wicked things and evil things to Jesus because of their hypocrisy. But, but Jesus isn't just out to prove them wrong here. We need to understand this. He is out to let them know the truth. He wants them to know the truth. And he's grieved. He's angry at their sin, but he's grieved at the hardness of their hearts just as well. Now, we would do well to remember that we are more often like the Pharisees than we are like Jesus. But as Christ followers, we can praise God that Jesus has rescued us from our hard-heartedness and has enabled us to know and believe the truth. He didn't come to prove us wrong. He came to rescue us from ourselves. And so because of that, we should actually want good here for the Pharisees. When someone rejects Jesus in your life, someone you know, friend, foe, you should want their good. Not just wrath. We should hate uh, the, the injustice, be angry at the sin. 
but compassionate toward the one that's committing it because Jesus was compassionate toward us even when we committed it. So that, that, that's more in line with the principle of the Sabbath and, and promoting the redemptive well-being of others. And so that's just something we need to note here. Something else that should also be noted in a, in a way that only Jesus can, uh, he, he doesn't actually do any work to heal this man. Did you notice that? He just spoke to him. Speaking is not illegal on the Sabbath. And he also made it so that the man didn't have to do any forbidden work that the Pharisees forbid to be healed. The man just held out his hand. That's not against the law either. And so the Lord of the Sabbath did a good life-giving act and he fulfilled the principle of the Sabbath without even breaking the extra man-made rules of the Pharisees. They have nothing on him. They can't, do, they can't touch him. Even so, though, look at their response in verse 6. Immediately, one of Mark's favorite words in this gospel, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Now, the irony is, is super thick here. The actions of the Pharisees, they stand in stark contrast to the purpose of the Sabbath that they are all participating in right now. In this whole scene, they're not only trying to keep Jesus from doing good to this person, but they are the entire time in their minds and in their hearts plotting to do evil to Jesus. And so much so that they've reduced this man to nothing more than an excuse to do that. They've dehumanized this guy even in that. They start looking for ways to accuse Jesus and then they looked for ways to, to kill Jesus. The Sabbath was, was established as a symbol of, of God's sovereignty, of, of his mercy, of his generosity, and his redemption. And, and here's how the Pharisees broke all those things. They were rebelling against God's law by adding to it. They were selfishly denying others of his mercy by burdening them with the rules. They were seeking to do harm to Jesus in an effort to end his influence in teaching and ultimately though they may not have fully known it then, his redemptive work. We can stop him, right? And the extent of their calloused hearts and their wicked intentions is revealed by the fact that they started plotting with the Herodians against Jesus. Now, as, as supporters of King Herod, we'll see these guys show up again later in the gospel, um, but, but this was a group of people that supported King Herod and Herod's dynasty. Um, and they were actually enemies of the Pharisees. Uh, and yet, both politically and religiously, and yet, here they have this common greater enemy in Jesus. And so the Pharisees actually go out, they're so mad that they're willing to go to their own enemy to find a way to kill this, this man. And ultimately, we know this. If we read the rest of the gospel. This scheming ends up working, so to speak. Right? They end up killing Jesus. But it's, it's in the death of the creator that the work of redemption is completed, right? At his crucifixion, just before he gave up his spirit and died, Jesus cried out, it is finished. What was finished? The work that he had come to do for our redemption, the work of suffering for our sin and, and dying on the cross, it's finished. And he gives up his spirit and he bore the full wrath of God, the anger, the fury of God for the sins of the people past 
present, and future, and he died then in our place. And then his body was taken down off the cross. It was laid in the tomb, and guess what? It spent a Sabbath day in the tomb, resting, waiting. And when the Sabbath was over, Jesus stood up, and he walked out. It's finished. So now anyone who turns from their sins and who trusts in Christ's finished work on our behalf, you can find rest from your striving to be reconciled with God. And you can be reconciled with God through Christ. The author of Hebrews talks about a Sabbath rest that still remains for God's people. There's something coming. It's not a single day. It's an eternity in a new creation with God's unending provision and blessing where we will find ultimate rest from the curse of sin and live freely as God's redeemed people. And until that day comes, we actually have work to do. We've been given work, good work, life-giving work, redemptive work. What is that work? It's the work of spreading the good news of the gospel so that other people can see and know the truth so that other people can come to Jesus and find rest in him, to stop striving on their own and to see that his work is finished, to turn from their sins, to trust in him, and to be reconciled to God. And as we work, we rest. We never do it in our strength. We do it in a strength that God richly provides us in Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit that he has given to us for this task. So for Christians, our Sabbath has changed from Saturday, the last day of the week, to Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's day, the day that he rose from the grave. That's why we gather together on Sunday. And so, so as believers now, how, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? Now, the irony here is that if I give you a list of what's acceptable and what's not, see where this is going? I'm a Pharisee, right? You can only watch one football game. The Bears already played, so it's okay. The naps only have to be uh, an hour and a half. No no later, right? I, I can't do that. I can't tell you that. What I can give you is the principle. What I can remind us of is the principle that we need to remember that will help us guide, guide us as we approach this day each and every single week. Here's, here's what it is. We need to see this day as a God-given gift to us. It is not a burden to gather together in the name of Jesus. It is a blessing. It's a day for us to rest from our worries, from our struggles, from our toil in this world, and to remember the Lord, his generous provision and his care for, uh, for us as our creator and as our redeemer. It's a day that's marked by freedom. It's more than a list of rules. But listen, it is a day that is set apart as holy. God has claimed this day as his own, and he's claimed us as his own 
And so it's for us as his people to focus on him and his character. And so as we gather weekly on the Lord's Day to remind each other of every spiritual blessing that we've been given in Christ, we show the world then that our priorities are not the same as the world's. And we do that not to elevate ourselves above the world, but to elevate Jesus and show that the, the worries of this world are nothing compared to the hope that we have, the promise that awaits us in Christ. And we direct them to him. We, 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 we reflect his character. And we do acts of mercy so that others can see him and find rest in him. And so, so let's then continue. Let's continue to gather together and remember our creator and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's, let's reflect his creative and his redemptive character by doing good acts of life-giving mercy toward one another and toward other people. And, and let's, let's really, really rest in him. Physically, it's okay to take a nap. And spiritually, He's present. He's with us. And let's keep doing that until we enter the final rest. Where we can rest fully and finally and and leave this toil behind. It's coming. I'm weary. I don't know about you but it's coming, and we have purpose while we wait. One of the ways that we rest in the Lord is by taking communion together. When we're gathered together, we read, sing, pray, preach, and something I forgot to add is we practice the word of God through the ordinances that he's given to us of communion and baptism. And so we we partake the physical elements together uh, as a reminder that our creator and redeemer has provided for our greatest spiritual need, by giving himself up as a physical and spiritual sacrifice on our behalf. We, we have been reconciled to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and the observance of, of communion serves as a reminder for us to rest in him until he returns. We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns as we take communion together. Now, there's not a lot of rules and regulations. The Bible doesn't tell us how many times we, we should take it as we gather together, things like that. But there, are, there is one very important stipulation that we do need to cover for this. We can't overlook this. Communion is for believers who understand themselves to be in a right relationship with God. What does that mean? It means that you have turned from your sins and you have trusted in Jesus and his finished work to forgive and save you and reconcile you to God. And it means that you're living in a lifestyle that continually reflects that ongoing turning and trusting. So you're a believer, but you're a believer who has no unconfessed sin in your life that you're aware of. If that's you this morning, then I want to invite you to take communion with us. If it's not you, Scripture invites you to examine your heart and and, and again, as God takes the Sabbath seriously, He takes this seriously and says that if you eat and drink the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner you eat and drink judgment on yourself I don't want that for you 
So just pass it on by. But here's what you can consider. You can consider Christ and his call to you in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a blessing, not a burden. So this morning as the ushers come forward and they'll, they'll pass out the trays down the, down the rows, we'll take both the, the cups are together, the juice and the bread is underneath, take both cups and we'll spend some time reflecting, resting. We, we spent three minutes in, on the front end of silence preparing us for this. But now we have focus, right? Dwell on Jesus and his sacrifice and then uh, when we're ready, we'll take these elements together. Oh, my soul. 
On the night when he was betrayed, Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me as we eat the bread. Let's rest in his body that was broken for us. Let's do that now. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As we drink the juice this morning, let's rest in the fact that the new covenant has been sealed by Jesus. Father, we're so thankful that you have given us blessing upon blessing, that you're a God who pours out riches and lavish grace and love on your people, that you're a generous God, that you're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Would you help us this morning to truly rest in Christ's finished work as we close our time together, as we sing one more song, as we walk out these doors. I pray, God, that we don't leave this behind, but that we take you with us, that we are reminded that every believer has been given the spirit to dwell in us, It's a non-refundable gift. Aloneness is an impossibility for your people. And so help us as we go out to rest freely in your presence, to trust your finished work, and to be eager to do the good works that you've prepared for us to do, knowing that they don't earn us a spot. Christ has earned that for us. And we can do it simply to make you known to others so that they can find rest in you too. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.